bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. I've got with me Chuck Nice hey, co-hosting. That's right, sir. All right. And tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. Thank you. I follow you. I follow you too. Okay. <laughs> to the ends of the earth <laughs> and beyond. To the gates of hell. In the I trenches. In the trenches. Follow you. <laughs> uh, and I've got Chuck Lou. I can't call you Chuck because he's Chuck. Charles Lou. You can call me whatever you want. No, I'm not called. I just said I'm not. Okay. 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 Charles Lou. <laughs> Uh, professor of Astronomy and Physics at uh, College of Staten Island. Yes. City University of New York. Yes. And our fan base knows that if you are my guest on a show, yes. we're going to get geek. That's oh, right. Okay. We're, we're going to roll out some geek <laughs> on you. Some good get geek. your geek on. Good, get your geek on. <laughs> get your geek wait. on. All right. Get your, get we're featuring my interview with actor Zachary Quinto. You know Zachary Quinto? Yes. That's Mr. Spock. He's Mr. Spock. Yes. He's like the next generation rendering of the iconic hyper-rational character from the original Star Trek series. He is the actor with the highest scoring name in Scrabble. Wow. Okay. Why do you know that? <laughs> well, so he got a Z and you got the Q. He's got a Z. Put it on the triple word score. You are all set. I mean, if you spell his whole name out. You spell his, his whole, whole name, name out. A Z exactly. and a Q yeah. and a... Okay, he's got some A's in there. They're not That's right. worth the much. The C is three, the H is four, and the Y is four. The rest of them are one. There you go. Idiot. You didn't know. <laughs> there you have it. No, Zachary's been my hero in part because of that extremely... Extreme. I would bet he would want to be your hero for reasons beyond that. Oh, but, but, and he is too. <laughs> so we're going to explore the science of science fiction. Excellent. We're using him as, a, him as a excuse to do that. Excellent. And there's no better excuse for that because he's a hyper-logical alien. Yes. He's a Vulcan. Fascinating. Uh, half hyperlogical alien. Oh, that's right because he's got a... He's uh, half human. His, his mammy. That's right. He, he got a... He, mommy is a... You got a human mm -hmm. mammy. Right. And I couldn't resist that. <laughs> the lure of those earth women, because earth girls are easy. <laughs> oh, that, was, <laughs> that was, what's his face? Um, no, uh, it was downtown Julie Brown. No, not no, downtown Julie No, Bruce earth Julie. girls are easy. Yeah, that's. Was, um, it was, what's this? Uh, was it Weird uh, Al Yankum? No, no, no. 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 
You know, I'm, I'm the fly. I'm the that fun, guy, I'm the, the fly. fly. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum was in the movie Earth Girls Are Easy. That's right. Right. But the song Earth Girls Are Easy oh, that was formed by someone named Julie Brown, who also did um, Trapped in the Body of a White Girl and Everybody Run, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. Wow. Nice. I mean, I don't know just, anything nothing. you just said. <laughs> but but the, he said it, but you said it with such authority. Everybody like, run. You know? Dang. Homecoming queen's got a gun. No? Or, oh, I don't know this song. I kind of remember that. From the 80s? I did it for Johnny. Is it from the 80s? It's from the 80s. Yeah, okay. No, got yeah. me, All right, man. all right, all right. It sounds Johnny? like George of the Jungle. Who's Johnny? But... Are you Johnny? Yeah. <laughs> so he's got, uh, you know, as all good actors do, they, they have an acting pedigree mm-hmm. that, that extends back. Uh, he's trained in classical theater. Excellent. And I asked him about the transition from these formal background mm-hmm. into science fiction in both film and television. So let's check it out. I mean, there is something inherently theatrical about science fiction, which I find interesting. You know, the world of Star Trek, I think, is is Shakespearean in a way, if you really break it down. And and the the canon of stories and the the lineage that overlaps itself, um, I think, is really theatrical. And and so much is happening on television now that it, the landscape is entirely different than it was even five years ago. It's amazing we can all agree it's a golden age of television. Yeah, and the challenge now, I think, is really, uh, you know, grabbing people's attention and then holding people's attention because as there are more and more... Wait, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> there are more and more platforms... <laughs> You know, it's just like that. How do we how do we get people and and direct them in the right way? It's interesting. It's an interesting double edged sword in a way. So Charles, what explain what he means by Star Trek being Shakespearean? Because oh. I followed a little bit, but I think you would have a deeper insight. How is Star Trek like Shakespeare? Let me count the ways. Mm. Oh, the world's a stage. <laughs> oh, the men and women. Let, let me Merely just players. Well done. Well done. Look, let me just quote Christopher Plummer in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, playing General Chang the Klingon. Tach pa, tach be. To be or not to be. Mm. The Klingons. In, in Klingon. Yes, in Klingons. Uh, the Klingons all thought that Shakespeare was written originally in their language. Those idiots. <laughs> no, 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 because of the rhythms or the, the... rhythms, the the human Klingon condition. The whole point of Shakespeare is that his body of work demonstrates all the different highs and lows and in-betweens, comedies and tragedies of the human condition, of life of society, of individuals interacting with the whole. And so there's a universal truth to it that transcends any culture. If it's properly translated, Klingons, Romulans, humans. And for the first time, you've used the phrase universal truth in a literal meaning. Yes. Mm. Most people, when they say universe, universe they're talking about Earth. Yeah, they're yeah. Talking like about Miss Universe? It's, it's just Miss Earth. It's our <laughs> right. right? You know, we right. didn't compare it with Miss Mars. Right. No, that ain't how exactly. that happened. Yeah. So right. Alpha Centauri wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare appears over and over again throughout Star Trek on purpose and sort of accidentally, just as it does on just about every other major science fiction space opera type. But place. wait a minute. Shakespeare wrote about practically everything yes. in many different ways. So for it to have a story and say it's Shakespearean, can't you say that about every story? Mm-hmm. As long Tom as- Tom and Jerry is Shakespearean. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean- <laughs> Maybe. But the, 
what we're talking about. Right, because if it fits everything, then it right. fits nothing. Oh, if it fits everything, it fits everything. It also fits nothing. The point is, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you on that one. Yeah, like, okay. Shakespeare really told the story of Tom and Jerry better. Right? <laughs> is that the difference? That's why Shakespeare is so involved. Right. Just even Star Trek VI, the movie I just quoted, the subtitle is The Undiscovered Country, right. which is Hamlet, right? As is to be or not to be. Now, in the movie, the chancellor of the Klingons said that the undiscovered country was the future. But of course, in Hamlet's soliloquy, the undiscovered country was death. And so that became a theme in that movie where do Klingons really fear death or do they fear the unknown, the mm. future? I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the unknown because, exactly because they definitely want to die right. a glorious right. death in battle exactly which is what caused a, a, a central tension in that movie and the plot and so forth and then the evil well I don't want to say evil but the general Chang to which I referred as in the as he was fighting the final battle against Kirk. He was quoting Shakespeare over and over again. Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war from Julius Caesar. Correct. You know, all these other kinds of fighting things. And then- he, And that's the, why he lost. That's why he lost the battle. His final, and I actually saw Christopher Plummer on Broadway with Lynn Redgrave in Hamlet. Wow. Um, not, 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 in, in, um, not, not Hamlet. Um, Macbeth. Macbeth. Yes. Right. Mm. It, yeah. Macbeth. So, so he imagined the joy that the actor Christopher Plummer must have had in full Klingon armor, fighting a space battle, saying as his final words before his ship explodes, to be or not to be. Nice. Shakespeare and Star Trek. Mm. Wow, that was quite the trek in itself, man. <laughs> man, dude. Wow, Chuck. God. Stop calling Chuck because I don't know who you're talking to. That's true. There you go. You can be talking to your Charles. Please, feel free to call me Chuck, Charles. No, no. Thank you for that recitation. For that soliloquy. Just one piece of it. See what I did there? You see what I did there? Alas, poor Neil. I knew him well, Horatio. A host of infinite jest. I'm not quoting Shakespeare. I'm done. No, go ahead. The Fall. Dear Charles, is not, not in your stars, <laughs> but in yourself. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right then. Nice job. Out, out, brief candle. And by that, I mean this conversation. No, it's okay. <laughs> Life's but a walking shadow, or poor player that struts and frets his hour on the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of. Sound and fury. Signifying nothing. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! Holy! People did not know this. That Chuck Nice is also classically yeah, trained. Yeah, let's not, let's not go there. <laughs> Man! We don't want people knowing that kind of stuff about Chuck Man. Nice. <laughs> I'm unworthy. <laughs> so am I. Man. So am I. I don't know how you get back, how, how I can get back in this conversation. <laughs> and I got to quote right. a Shakespeare thing just to hang with you two. <laughs> Let me think. Um, so I, I'm sorry I don't have Shakespeare just sitting in my head. Oh, but I, I have quoted him before, yeah. and I will quote him now, but I got to read what I wrote on it. Okay. It's my second book ever, okay? <laughs> okay. In the chapter called Celestial Winding. Aha. Uh -huh. okay. Here it is. And it's a segment from All's Well That Ends Well. Helena displays a sharpness of wit as she comments on the valor of Parolles. Here it is, Helena. Monsieur Parolles, 
You were born under a most charitable star. Parolis, under Mars, I. Helena, I especially think under Mars. <laughs> Parolis, why under Mars? She replies, the wars hath so kept you under that you must needs be born under Mars. Ooh. Parolis, when he was predominant? When he was retrograde, I think, <laughs> rather. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And Parolis says, why think you so? Helena replies, you go so much backwards when you fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's just a Shakespeare astro burn. Oh, my God. That's Shakespeare, at, this is wow. my second book. I quoted Shakespeare there. Well, that, uh, just to hang with you two, because nice you were all like having a love, <laughs> love duel, duel there, and I, I, I was just sitting there on the outside. Sweet, yeah. that's cool though. That's a that's a that's, burn. That's a burn. Wow, <laughs> that's a, the, probably the most eloquent way to call somebody a coward ever. <laughs> yeah, well done. Nice. All right. So uh, before Zachary Quinto was Spock, he was. Silar. Yes, on Heroes. Heroes. On the supervillain in ABC's hit sci-fi series, Heroes. Yes. That's the one that no one understood, correct? Oh, it was great it for was the first season. season. Then it jumped the shark. Yeah. Oh, really? Jumped yeah. the shark? Yeah. That early? You're not supposed to jump the shark well, that they, early. Well, they kept, they kept like changing everything. Making things. Let's see what he says about it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Zachary Quinto on Heroes. Check it out. You had the power to take people's powers. Yeah, right. Yeah. I stole, That's badass. I stole people's powers. That's I was bad. sort of omnipowerful. That's bad. But I had to murder them viciously in order to get those powers. Ooh, okay. So there was that that little caveat. But uh, remind me, did you have a... a Base Achilles power? Heel? No, no. Oh, an Achilles heel? Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, I did have an Achilles heel. I still remember. Heel, uh -huh. but, but they kept changing it. Like, I, I was invincible unless they killed me in this one way. And then as the show went on and they wanted to keep the character around, they kept changing it. So okay. part of the deflation of the role and I think ultimately the series was they had you know they had to keep changing their own rules and so audiences felt a little bit like they didn't know what to invest in mm -hmm. and that's the nature of having to keep a keep successful show going for so long you know so that show went four seasons so it's like a hundred episodes of just trying to sustain these characters many of whom probably should have died last <laughs> season for the in order to keep the story going but it was also many a different the other era characters. Yeah, my character should have too. I think it was like a, it was like a, um, it was a trap of the success of that show because it was a different era still, and it was a network show, so it was really working to kind of keep up that pace. I think things are entirely different now. And I must confess, uh, my original urge to watch it was because the O in Heroes was a total an eclipse. eclipse. I get it. Yeah, that was my. That, that was, was the only reason why I first watched the show. <laughs> so Charles, why? Is it important to not break rules when you're storytelling? Any narrative has to be within a context, at least the literary. What do you mean it has to be? If you, Just because they have been doesn't mean it has to be. You can do postmodern literature where the rules keep getting broken all the time, but then you know that the rule is that the rules are meant to be broken. Mm. Oh. Yeah. When you're telling a narrative, an epic, an opera, a story, or something like that, if you are invested in a character or storyline, and then it no longer has significance. That's not cool. Like if yeah. you love a character and the character dies, it has significance. But then if you find out that any character can be risen from the dead merely by giving an injection of somebody's blood, then death then means nothing. Death means nothing. Yeah. And then what you cared about isn't important anymore. If you knew at the very beginning of the story that anyone who dies can come back to life, fine. But 
if you find that out in season two. So what you're saying is they, they're kind of making this stuff up yeah, as they, they were. go along. I don't right. think they expected it to yeah. go past one season. <laughs> That's what happened. But it was a great story in part because of great actors like Zachary. Um, he played this, this watchmaker. Okay, Siler wasn't even his real name. Siler was the name of a watch that he was working on when his power manifested. Oh. And he was really what you could, you could call, you know, Hannah Arendt's idea of the banality of evil. Somebody who you wouldn't think is like vicious and likely to kill anybody, but just presented with a circumstance. He was a watchmaker. He cared about details. And then all of a sudden he opened up somebody's brain and figured out that person's superpower. Yeah. And then went on and on and on until it became this addiction where he slipped down everybody. that slope. Cause, yeah, because he was a psychopath. That's really the deal. <laughs> There's a word for that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and one of the things that was borne out in the show was, was he a psychopath and then this power showed up? Or did he become a psychopath because of his powers? There was an alternate. Interesting. There that was is an alternate duality. Yes, yes, exactly. There was an alternate timeline in that show where it showed Siler not calling himself Siler, but Gabriel. He had adopted a young person and actually had become a hero, been a good person, but then was not able to sustain that because of the pressure. Okay, so what world. shows have kept to their own rules best? Would oh. you say? Well, Star Trek does pretty well. Although, although, yeah, although, 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 which episode in the original season where Spock did something where he yeah. almost died or went blind, right. but then there was an extra eyelid yes. that prevented him from going blind. Well, and, 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 and Bones said, I should have I known you'd come up with something like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so they even knew in the script yes. that they had to sort of say something right. about that. Right. Because you didn't know in advance that he had a special eyelid right. that prevented him from going the blind. The concept of retconning, right, retroactive continuity, is allowable when you have these huge kind of sprawling stories. But you still have to every time explain what was going on. Star Wars, for example, not so good. Mm. The Kessel Run. Don't Paul get me Parsons. started on the Kessel Run. Yeah, no, I know. No, I know. skip we, that. We're on the same page. Because I will, I will I blow know. a gasket. I know, okay. I know. And then they had to retro. Just to be clear, for people to know, <laughs> when he says the Millennium Falcon did the castle run in under 12 parsecs. Right. That's like saying, uh, you know, if I say, uh, Chuck, how much do you weigh? And you say, I weigh $3.50. <laughs> how fast are you driving the car? 72 right. degrees Fahrenheit. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, different units. Now, now, it, it's complete idiocy. Yes, okay. But in the movie Solo. No, they, don't, they doubled down on it. I don't want to hear about it. They doubled down by retconning the whole process. They re retroactively. And, and that messed up a lot of people. It makes people unhappy. Yeah, like me. Right. <laughs> and that's why you can't go back and, and mess the things too much. So he went from super villain to, I don't want to call him superhero, but super alien Spock. Spock. Yes. In the Star Trek, the reboot of the Star Trek films. Yes. So let's just get a snippet of him reflecting on becoming Spock. Check it out. It's one of the most recognizable characters in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, up there with Mickey Mouse and Jesus. I mm -hmm. mean, it's it, in, in terms of like the iconography of Spock and the, um, the visual um, familiarity that people have with that character and his ears and his gestures and all of that. Um, so I guess there was that kind of floating around me and I didn't allow myself to get swept away in any of the things that are attached to that role. Why? Because it would have... To protect yourself? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have done my job, I think, if I had allowed myself to go with the magnitude of who that character is and what he represents to so many people for so long. Um, I just had to focus on what was right in front of me. 
uh, you know, Leonard was involved at that time, right. uh, and I got to. I mean, Leonard and I became incredibly close through that process. Mm. So it was a, a creative and professional um, gift, but also a, a, a tremendous personal gift to to become so close with Leonard as well. Leonard who? Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy. So the the original actor portraying Spock was his mentor. It's, yes. It sounded like in All this right. in this bit. So can you, Charles, explain why Spock was such an iconic character? Well. First of all, Spock as a character was the first alien that really had a prominent role in any television or movie show that lasted and showed that it had characterization. So he was fascinating because he was other and yet similar to us. But more important, in my opinion, it was the brilliant acting of Leonard Nimoy that made Spock so iconic. Fascinating. He, <laughs> he reacted to Continue. the script and the ideas that made it happen. Uh, there are television critics, historians, for example, who will talk about uh, Kirk, played by William Shatner, becoming increasingly emotional, increasingly melodramatic as the series went on. Yeah. And what Spock, Leonard Nimoy did was simply become that foil become even more, less emotional, even more detached, even more logical. And Thus then they canceled the show. <laughs> <laughs> it created that balance, which then led to that rich idea of yin and yang, equilibrium, you know, Kirk and Spock becoming that. Seat of the pants versus total logic. Yes. And then they play chess right? and yes. Kirk wins every time because he's not making logical moves. Right, which I never got. No, no, totally. If Yeah, yeah. no, I once played, the first time I beat a computer at chess, I only was able to do that fooling it into thinking I was making one move relative to another. And it would organize all of its peace strategies, thinking I'm going to make a move, and, and I don't, do and then the it came, came right. in the backside ah, and then gotcha. beat it. But that's how we play chess anyway. We always try to fool our opponent, right? Whether it's a computer or a human being. Yeah, okay. So, I, okay, thank Good you. Good job, though. No, thank you. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's old days. Right. Old <laughs> the days. first time I beat a computer is in the future. <laughs> <laughs> of another timeline in another yeah, universe. There you go, exactly. <laughs> All right, we've got to take a break, and we will talk more about emotion versus logic in the next segment on Star Talk Return. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and 
internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Back on Star Talk, featuring my interview with Zachary Quinto, actor. Yes. Modern days, best known for playing young, Spock. young Spock. Young Spock. He looked just like what Spock would have looked like. He really does. That's what kind of helped him. That's some serious casting yeah. they did yeah. there for and that. And it's, it's not even young Spock. It's different timeline Spock. Really. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Think about that. And so I had to ask him about Spock's notorious reliance on logic over emotion. Sweet. It's been interesting to get an actor's take on that. Let's check it out. There's these two parts of Spock. Um, His human essence and his Vulcan essence, and I think that I can relate to that. I process things uh, in an intellectual way, personally. Um, and emotion is always underneath that, right? So I feel like uh, I don't, I don't, I don't always go to intellect first, but I definitely lean toward intellect, and then emotion is surrounding it and under it. Oh, so it's not in the center of it. No, I don't think so. That means you make rational decisions in front of pretty rational. Other people make emotional. Yeah, decisions. I definitely have an ability to separate my emotional response from my. Um, Rational or uh, intellectual Spock-ian. response, a little bit, yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Ooh, interesting. So he's huh. feel, he's feeling the character. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, he thinks he's Spock. <laughs> yeah, Zachary Quinto. <laughs> okay. He just got out of therapy before yeah. he had that. <laughs> so, Charles, tell me about your rational and emotional minds. I believe that my emotional reactions uh-huh. and my logical reactions yes. are knit together as tightly as a tapestry, a flannel pattern. I can't separate the two of them very well at all. I so think, you're very logically emotional. Or, or emotionally logical. <laughs> or emotionally logical. Yes. So I can reason out things, but I'm always informed by my own feelings. And I can always feel about something, but I always think about, wait, why am I feeling this? How am I feeling this? And it's all knit together. And I actually don't want to separate them. I think that's what makes me like the human that I am. <laughs> Possibly human, yes, right. Mm. Which is one of the things that was explored in, in the Star Trek universe. Vulcans actually have very strong emotions, right. but society compels them to suppress emotion and only exhibit logic. Right. And this is what makes it very difficult for them. Tremendously powerful, but also an Achilles heel. You know, Star, Star Trek Spock, his logical approach to life is Almost always at odds with Captain Kirk's. Yes, of course. Uh, and yes. so I asked Zachary about that dynamic on screen. Let's check it out. Kirk and Spock are probably one of the most iconic duos um, 
in popular culture history. Who would you rather be? Obviously, Spock. <laughs> Obviously. Because you're um, still playing the role. Yeah, so. <laughs> come on now. Um, you, can, you, can, you can tell me. <laughs> no one will know except the I million people there. I definitely feel like they are uh, inextricably connected on a spiritual level. Um, they're two sides of the same coin. I think as Roddenberry envisioned these characters, they represent um, an exploration, an examination of what it means to be human and what it means to be alien and how those two parts of ourselves as people you know, um, are often in proximity and often in conflict. Um, Spock and Kirk function very differently, but I don't think either would function as effectively without the other one. So, Chuck, <laughs> would you rather be Kirk or Spock? Oh, that's a really hard question. And here's why. Mr. Spock, so logical, so methodical, so meticulous, and so knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the Vulcan brain is like, you know, he mm -hmm. is a human computer, um, able to calculate. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? One <laughs> 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 of the lines from Yeah, the movie. I love it. Uh -huh. But, um, I, I, so... For all those reasons, I want to be Spock. However, Kirk, I want to sleep with a green woman, man. Sorry, <laughs> right. I'm just not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. So, so Spock's not getting any, any intergalactic. Spock does not, except for like once every ten years, he has to go Kali Fee, Kali Fa, or some yeah. old crap where he gets far. He goes in the heat. He goes right. in the Vulcan heat, and you know, and then he still doesn't get any. You know, <laughs> it's like you know. I know. Touch okay, fingertips, so, remember? Yes. Okay, so it's going to be. Yeah, I'm Kirk. going. I'm going with Kirk. You're, I'm going. I'm with going Kirk. with Kirk. <laughs> so, so get your green. Butt so Charles, this thing about yin and yang, yes. and uh, uh, comment on that. Well, obviously, life is an equilibrium. Mm -hmm. You and I, we are all here and doing what we're doing today because there's a balance between the energy that's going through our bodies mm -hmm. and coming out of them mm -hmm. and whatever is being put into them like food or metabolism and so on and so forth. Also, there are three evil versions of ourself in another universe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in okay. a moment. <laughs> yeah. And so, one of them, there's a Chuck in another universe with a goatee. Wait, you have a goatee here. Well, <laughs> you're the evil Chuck. Yeah, you know, we so got the, the evil Chuck. Chuck is, oh Chuck, my give gosh, us the good the Chuck. Actually, you saw, you've called me evil Chuck before and somebody on Twitter said, from now on, you're Chuck rude. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, my point is that if we are to explore life itself, then we are thinking both spiritually and physically, psychologically about balance, about an extreme that needs to be balanced. And so things moving forward and around is what causes us to have all these different cool things happen. Fiction is fundamentally about society coming out of balance and what happens to bring it back. Right, but balance implies that it's teetering on falling in one direction or another. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you can have balance without that. No. A, a, a marble on a flat surface uh -huh. is balanced. Right. All right, but you wouldn't say there's a yin and yang operating on yeah, it. Yeah, because that's a metastability, right? Mm -hmm. Although we call that as physicists, mm -hmm. you know that. So imagine instead the marble in a dip, mm -hmm. in a valley. And then once in a while, something pushes the marble up the hill. Okay, and a That'll force, where there's a restoring it's force. It's a restoring force that mm -hmm. brings it back down into the equilibrium point down below. When you have something that's metastable, like a table, and you're rolling the marble, it keeps going and then it falls off the table, that's not life. That becomes something more extreme, which can be studied, but it's not That the would be the condition. end of life. That's <laughs> 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 uh, one example. Right. Interesting. Uh, okay. That was a little philosophical. I liked it, yeah. I still like it. No, I, 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 I would quibble with something you said. Oh, dear. 
okay? Life, by its very nature, are centers of highly disequilibrium phenomenon. I see what you're saying. Yes, because we are examples of the local thermodynamic equilibrium being violated. Violated, correct. Mm -hmm. Because we have forced to... Your body temperature is 98 degrees and and it's 72 degrees. You are out of freaking equilibrium, dude. But I am out of equilibrium with my surroundings. Yes. Within myself, I have to be 98.6 plus or minus a degree or two at all times or I stop living. Yeah. So okay. So the therapy told me within myself. <laughs> I am I am at peace I'm with glad myself. It's doing something. Even though I'm I'm a disequilibrium <laughs> with the rest of the universe. Right. So another disequilibrium part is we inhale oxygen, mm-hmm. it oxygenates the iron. Mm-hmm. The iron then goes through and it deposits the oxygen in our muscles and comes back without oxygen. Yes. So in our same body, we have reduced and oxygenated iron living in the same vessel. Mm-hmm. And in in the in in nature, you don't see that. Either all the iron is oxidized, or all the iron is not oxidized. But that's because of an equilibrium process. Because we're not in equilibrium. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. That we are mm-hmm. able to maintain that. That's all I'm saying. Very cool. That's all I'm saying. Well said. Okay. Well, so when when I can't believe we just got there from freaking Spock. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that was amazing. So when the Star Trek, the original Star Trek franchise was yes. rebooted, uh, what was it, two thousand and nine? So they kept all the same characters yes. and they sent them in a different direction. Yes, they did. Let's figure out how that went down with Zachary. They created an alternate timeline in our first film in 2009. Was that just to, because that they backed into that? He, I mean, it, it? I think it was to open up the narrative possibilities of our, of our universe, to set us apart from the original series. It's very producer of you. It's very producer <laughs> open of me. Open the narrative possibilities. There was definitely... You're set, an actor, there was, Jim, not um, a producer. <laughs> give me an actor answer. <laughs> There's a bit of backlash, I will say, yeah, from the fans. But, uh, but I feel like it really reset the clock, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it gave us a new point of departure and a new springboard into a whole other landscape of stories. Part of the joy of Star Trek is the infinite possibilities of, mm-hmm. uh, of storytelling, you know? Um, and so I feel grateful to be a part of that because we weren't hindered by anything that happened before. Um, and, uh, and it was a powerful new direction that it allowed us to go in. So we'll see where it takes us from here, you know? Yeah. So, Charles, what's the difference between an alternative universe and an alternative timeline? Uh, just semantics. Yeah, that's what I thought. Usually, when you think of alternate timelines, they kind of re- converge back. So, you, you can have oh. something separate, but then it returns. But really, it could be an alternate universe that goes off in its own direction, whatever. If that makes sense. So, for example... Not the, really, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> the mirror universe, for example, is an alternate timeline, right? Where you have people that can interact with our timeline and they come back and forth. Alternate universe is something that's so different that there's no interaction. Sometimes that's... Yeah, but if you're splitting into that, that means you had access to it. Well, there's the many worlds hypothesis of quantum mechanics, which suggests that you can split into that and then no longer have the possibility to interact. So do you think there are other versions of us in another timeline? Well, if we think that the many worlds hypothesis of quantum mechanics works, then there are an infinite number or nearly infinite number of each of us in a completely different timeline. So there's there's an evil Charles Liu. And there's a great Charles. <laughs> Which one did we get? <laughs> Which one do you want? Someone in the middle. <laughs> Jack. That's cool. That's, uh, that's very Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. When we come back, uh, third and final segment of my interview with Zachary Quinto on Star Talk. 
Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, we'd like to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Pat Mallon and Kyle Rhodes. Guys, thanks so much for all of your support. We couldn't make this trip through the cosmos without you. And for those of you listening who would like your own Patreon shout-out, go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. We're back on Star Talk, featuring my interview with Zachary Quinto, the actor who portrays Star Trek. So, <laughs> the entire series. The entire series. As acted by Zachary Kinko. <laughs> by Spock on Star Trek. Yes. And, uh, you know, I had to ask him about sort of storytelling, right? Sure. And, but I had an issue Uh-oh. with this sort of reboot of the Star Trek series. Ooh. And I had him there, so why not, why don't I? Yeah. Why not give him a smackdown? Get up in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what went down. One of my regrets was the original Star Trek, most of the time, two-thirds of the time, they were morality tales. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see that as a mission, as a storytelling mission, carry forward. Oh. In, in our film. Yeah, yeah. Just it's, it's more sort of a big screen action entertainment. Interesting. Um, which sells. Right. But it'll put people in a seat. But I wanted more of the, the oh, that's holy, wow, that's a mirror to our own mm-hmm. culture, our mm-hmm. own civilization. Right. I think, you know, I think our culture is a little bit less inclined toward morality tales these days. I, we want to escape. I can fully accept know, that I'm just an old fellow. A little bit more. <laughs> I got, I'm okay with that. Oh, uh, that, was, I, no, that I, was pretty great. No. You totally... You threw him a little I bit, I think man. I did. You yeah. did. You, he was a little offended. If you listen to that, he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. I thought it was like, a oh, very kind. There. No, it was a kind acknowledging. <laughs> but the point was, Neil, where you are is you're comparing a TV show with dozens of episodes, right? The ability to take many bites at the apple and feature films which get one shot at entertaining and putting people in the seats. So you said two-thirds of the show where morality plays. That means one-third of them was pure escapism. Yeah, pretty right? much, yeah. So you didn't give 
the feature film enough credit. He sounded like like like. He sounded like Zachary. <laughs> like no no. He sounded like he's actually informed Zachary on his answer. Well, <laughs> no, Zachary's answer was right. We these days may want more escapism in our entertainment than morality plays. But in Roddenberry's day in the '60s, if you watch shows like Bonanza or you know Wagon Train, they were all one after another, one morality play after another, two thirds of the time, and then one third of the time was just escapism with guns firing and horses running. So what should be the balance? Depends on the medium you're working with. With a feature film, know. it I might go with. I am. I. I, I, I think guess Roddenberry is... would have figured out a way to take the morality play and put it in the the, the modern day Star Trek feature film. It's possible. I'm you not know? sure. I, and, and not to be heavy handed, but I mean, like for instance, uh, what's his name that does the blue people with the tails? Uh, yeah, James Cameron. James Cameron. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> thanks. The, blue people, the, blue the, people guy, with the guy who got you know Corona those blue people with the tails with, yeah. with the USB ponytail. Plugs into everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avatar. Yes. Yeah, Avatar. But if you look at that, there is there are several overarching morality um, messages that are inculcated in that film. You know, one of which being that we only get one planet, okay, and we should take care of it. Another being like, hey man, it's not, imperialism is not all that cool. You know, there's several, I mean, Is it so wrong that I want to have see, a better I world? He, I don't think he's super heavy handed with it either, even though some people would say he was. He but was. He it whacked was. me over the head with a sledgehammer. Well, that's because you're a smart person, but you know, for, for, for somebody who's not- For like regular people? For, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I do not ascribe to that distinction between quote regular consumers and quote here's my point see that's the problem no, i'm sorry i gotta push back on the see you're the problem you're the reason why we're in the mess that we're in as this country because we don't believe that there are stupid people there's <laughs> stupid people damn it what? there that's, are stupid people that's why chuck is charles lou is to blame for that because <laughs> he doesn't recognize yes, exactly. that everyone else it's is stupider than he is. Yes, it's, it's, so it's, it's a, his fault. It's the smart people like Chuck Liu <laughs> who will not acknowledge that there are a bunch of dumbasses out there that, that makes it very difficult for us to progress as a nation. I think we'll just have to agree to disagree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so where was, I don't even know where, where I was going here. <laughs> no, um, I derailed this. I'm, I apologize. Okay. <laughs> so here's my pushback. You push back. I'm going to push back too. Uh, the pushback is, uh, it's, uh, I think if you're creative enough, you can fold a dose, you can apply a dose of morality tale in your escapism and end you, up accomplishing both. Or if you do two of them, you get dose doses of morality tale. <laughs> Chuck, he needs more lessons from you. <laughs> Bring him to your... You know, you, you, yes, the best movies can do that. Can do that. But those are not common. Okay. And you got to give the, the feature film genre a little bit of credit in trying to do what it can do the best it can. Okay. Well, Zach, so he also not only rebooted Spock. Yeah. He also rebooted the series In Search Of. Oh, did what? he? Yes, he did. Wait, Leonard wow. Nimoy's in search of? Yeah. You know with the Loch Ness Monster and I stuff? I remember. Is that the one? That, well, Leonard Nimoy first did that. Yes. Right. And so now he, so he's following the ghost of Leonard Nimoy. Wow. He is the reboot of the science series In Search of. I asked him about it. Check it out. Wow. In Search of was a show that Leonard hosted in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, Excuse me, you're on first name basis. Yeah, well. I have to say Leonard I mean, Nimoy. No, you can me. say Leonard. Okay. I give you permission. I am now by proxy giving you permission. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, but uh, he hosted this show in the late 70s, early 80s called In Search Of, and the original episodes were like In Search Of Bigfoot or The Loch Ness Monster or uh, The Bermuda Triangle. You know, So they approached me about redoing the show and hosting it and also producing it. Um, so... We're keeping some of the hallmarks, like we did an episode on Aliens, uh, one of Monsters of the Deep, but then we're veering off into territory that I find really compelling and interesting, like artificial intelligence, life after death, and mind control. Um, and so it's been a real adventure. I've been all over the place. I got to go to CERN in Geneva, hang out with your people. It's the biggest machine ever built. Ever built by man on yes. the planet. I mean, it's amazing. And yeah. to be in the presence of it and to know that they had to build something so gargantuan to look at things that are so infinitesimally small, mm -hmm. I found that paradox very humbling. And uh, talking to them was really interesting. And uh, got to go to the Green Bank Observatory in West Virginia. Those and my people. They are your people, man. Yeah, so yeah. we've had a good time. And uh, we've got good people. Like, you have people great people. people. Yeah. And really inspiring. Because you know the thing that I've found with this show, and I, I know you can relate to this, is the idea of people who are devoting the entirety of their vocational lives to the exploration and discovery of things that they may never arrive at themselves. Mm -hmm. And yet, the magnitude of it in service of humanity in generations to come is what motivates them and drives them. And there's something so moving about it, actually. And to meet these people who have been working at the Green Bank Observatory for 30 years and know that they probably will never find the thing they're looking for. So he got into what Wonderful. what my people do. Yes. Yeah. It's the the quest. You have to, at some level, learn to love the questions themselves. Yes. Right. Learn to embrace the search because it's the search that is the task. The discovery is what the press talks about mm -hmm. once every fifty experiments that are conducted. A quick thing about the Green Bank Telescope. Yeah. That that zone is a is a is a radio free zone. Correct. It's because like, it's a radio telescope. It's a radio they don't want like signals to be messing up their signals. So what space. do people use? Uh, Dixie cups to talk to each other? <laughs> what are landlines. Huh? Landlines. Oh, just regular landlines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I forgot that. I so forgot how, how about far landlines. away do you have to be for, I mean, what, um, what is, is I don't remember the, the exact zone? number of kilometers, but okay. it's miles. But it's miles. Yeah, it's, you got to go wow. quite a ways. Yeah, I mean, the Green Bank Telescope the, itself, mm -hmm. right? Imagine... A piece this is of Green Bank, tunnel. West Virginia. Yes. It's a town, it's, and the telescope's named right. after the town. And, and this telescope, named after Senator William Byrd, actually, uh, named after Senator Robert Byrd. Mm -hmm. Imagine a piece of metal mesh that's the size of a football field that you can move around and aim at any spot in the sky. That's cool. To listen to signals as if you were right there, you know, trying to understand anything from... You're loosely using the word listen to. Yes. Because it's still electromagnetic energy. Right. Gotcha. And but, you can turn it into an audio signal on the other end, right. but it's not sound it's coming not through sound. space. That I just want right to make that clear. It's You're, a signal coming through space. Signal that you detect, that's right. and then you can convert it into something you can hear if you right. choose. That's right. Or you can make a visual map of it. Yeah, yeah, right. and that's a picture. Whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 And imagine using that technique to listen to anything from the pulsing of a spinning star mm -hmm. to the signals from an alien intelligence, mm -hmm. all kinds of amazing or, So now, now or, is that more effective or less effective, or does it make a difference of an array like SETI? They do different things. Okay. Yeah. They all have different uh, strong points and weaknesses. But this single... So the arrays are multiple dish. telescopes all moved in right. synchrony. Right. right. Okay. But this single steerable dish is, is a very, very cool thing. Okay. A single steerable dish can detect a weaker signal than ah, an array can. That's it. There's, okay? the, there's the, the difference. The point of the array is to pretend you have a much bigger telescope right. than you do. do. Right. Yeah, so it's a clever backdoor 
way because you're not going to have a telescope that large right. that's steerable. Right. So that's part of the right. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. part of the the engineering. Uh, so one trade off. trade offs. Yeah. 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 One's a net. The other's a giant hook. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Ooh. Chuck. Uh, every once in a while. I Chuck with the metaphors. We, we need this guy in our <laughs> <Yeah. future. laughs> So uh, do you have a favorite example of what like a physicist might be looking for? Because they found the Higgs yes. boson. What's left? Wow. Dark matter and dark energy. Oh, of course. Energy. Dark matter and dark energy. Yeah. 95% of the universe we don't know anything about except yeah. how it behaves on the largest scales. Yeah. There's all mm. kinds of neat yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're it's, pretty ignorant about right. that. What is the most effective means of studying such a phenomenon. What effect they have on other things yeah. that we can detect. Okay. Right. And you keep doing this until you, you, or it does this in that condition, let's write that down. And there's a boundary to it. It does this in that situation, write that down. Okay. And you keep doing this and eventually the elephant takes shape. Gotcha. And maybe you have an elephant there, yeah. but you don't know that if you're only looking at little bits of it. So all the creativity in our field right now is finding out other experiments that you might conduct right. on space probes, on telescopes, to try to characterize what dark matter and dark matter as much as, as you can. As it affects right. something else. Got yes, you. and then eventually you head in the other direction. Uh, Zachary mentioned CERN, right? right. This big machine. Uh, what you do is... The, the you, European Center for Nuclear Research. Right. Mm -hmm. Once you find enough barriers or boundaries to the thing like the Higgs boson or something, then you take your machine and you look in that space where you think it's bounded to see if a particle like the Higgs boson exists. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, after years, it was found. It was found. So what yeah. you're saying is you, you look at all this, hey, something's happening over here. Now focus down right, on right that. There. Yeah. Well, something interesting, then focus down on that. Right. Because you wouldn't know to do that coming out of the box. Mm -hmm. You've got to work your way there. Right, so right. science is way more arduous than is ever captured in newspaper articles that rep only report on discoveries. Yes, and yet it is so much fun, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, as scientists, we just... That's why we do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. the journey. It really is. The, the and if stuff. we get paid to do it, that's a bonus. That's even better. <laughs> right. Oh, it's now nah, a bonus. Just, it's whether or not I eat and sleep Would you indoors, be a scientist yeah. for free? Yes, but I'd much rather like, be I'm a scientist I'm saying like a citizen free. scientist, like back in the day, nobody paid anybody yeah. to be a scientist. No, but back in the they day... They did something else and they did their science on No, the that's not how that worked. Back in the day, in almost every case, the people who had the luxury of being a scientist they were, were wealthy. They're wealthy anyway. Yeah, that's that, yeah. that. So if I were wealthy, I would still be a you scientist. Or they were monks. They were provided for on a daily basis, didn't have much else to do. Like Gregor Mendel, for example, who figured out some genetics. So oh, yeah, you're saying yeah, okay. that most of the scientists back in the day were just bored. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been back then. <laughs> something cool to study. Right, it's right. <laughs> Think about it. It's great. Uh, no. Yeah, so it's quite a commitment. To, it's, a, it's a devotion, really, is probably the best way to say it. Yeah, right. Okay. So let me give you some, we got to land this plane. So what oh. kind of final thoughts do you have, Chuck? Ah, oh, you know, I'm just reflecting on, on, you know, on, on storytelling, aliens, any part of what we just went through in these three segments. You know, I just think that the power of what we call science fiction is ever growing in its influence on society. And I just hope that it continues to inspire people to be more involved in science because that's the great power that it possesses. Ooh. And I don't think it's appreciated as much as it should be. I think we got the good Chuck. Yes. Most assured. Okay, wait. Now let me, let me give you evil <laughs> Chuck. Here's, now here's evil Chuck. Man, I love smoking weed <laughs> and watching Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, that's the deadbeat that's Chuck. De that, that's deadhead Chuck. <laughs> that's dead All right, Charles, Chuck. what do you have? Zachary is yet another example of a classically trained thespian, an actor who 
do Shakespeare, then takes it to the next level, to science, to science fiction, aliens. But in the end, he is still illuminating the human condition for us all. Bravo to Zachary. Mm. Okay. Mm. I would say it's the job of any fictional storytelling to illuminate the human condition or aspects of it. Mm -hmm. What I like in particular about science fiction is that you get to set storytelling on a stage that you might think is over there, but in fact, it's right beneath your own feet. Mm. So I think science fiction gives you wider berth to tell stories that reflect back on your own condition. Mm-hmm. Think of how many people wouldn't do it if it was a lesson against them, yeah. telling them they're misbehaving or telling them that their ways are are misguided. True. Nobody likes being lectured that's to. That's right. Okay, but if you said it on another, oh, that's a, those are aliens right. doing that, or that's a, and then one day you wake up and said, Ooh. they were talking about me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Eugene Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, I think science fiction is an important dimension, not only for us to figure out who we are, but also to give us a vision of a future that we might one day embrace. Mm. And I will end with a quote from Gene Roddenberry, a paraphrase, who, having written stories about apocalyptic futures, Mm -hmm. was once confronted by a woman who said, why do you write about such dismal futures? Is this because that's the world you think we will have? And he said, no, madam. I write about apocalyptic futures so you know you need to avoid them. Ooh. Ray Very nice. Charles Liu, Chuck Nice. (laughs) Yes, thank you, Neil. Thanks for being in the house. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for watching, possibly listening to this episode of Star Talk. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement. While another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.